0: Welcome to the Sword and the Trial podcast. The Sword and the Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell.
1: And I'm Graham Gundin.
0: Glad to have you join us today for this podcast. We've got a lot going on at Founders. There's uh, wonderful things happening with the Institute of Public Theology. We're also making big plans for the national conference coming up in January. So, Graham, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of those things before we introduce our guest?
1: Yeah, um, until midnight. Tonight, or I guess midnight tomorrow morning, you can register for the conference coming up in January at a discounted rate. But if you register after midnight tonight, then it's full price. Um, So if you have any plans of coming to the conference in January of 2023, Tom Askell will be there, Vodi Bachman will be there, Joel Beakey, Paul Washer. Um, It's going to be a great conference on the doctrine of man. Um, So Rates increase tonight at midnight. Yeah,
0: I encourage you to sign up for that. And also check out the Institute of Public Theology. A lot of exciting things going on there. Tom Nettles and uh, Travis Allen will be teaching next month uh, in the Institute courses that we got lined up. And then we've also got Ben Dunson and Richard Barcellus coming up in August to teach. So if you want more information about auditing those courses or becoming a full-time student, just go to instituteofpublictheology.org. Well, we're delighted today to have a special guest with us from my home state of Texas. Or maybe I should say the Republic of Texas. <laughs> I visit there periodically, just get my passport renewed. So just in case, <laughs> you know, I can always make it back. But although in Florida, I'm feeling pretty safe, you know, yeah. how we're doing here. But we're glad to have Bradley Pierce with us. Bradley, thank you for joining us today on The Sword and the Trial.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, I've just gotten to know about Bradley and then know him a little bit over the last few months. Uh, he lives, he's a native of Houston, but he lives outside of Austin, Texas now, and he is a constitutional attorney. He's been involved in a lot of good work regarding parental rights and uh, some nonprofit work with that, and also with regard to the issue of abortion, working diligently to try to abolish abortion in our nation. So, uh, Bradley, tell us
2: about
0: your the different things you're involved with legally for these causes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I'm I'm blessed to be part of an organization called Heritage Defense, where we defend parental rights around the country. And then re- regarding abolishing abortion, I'm part of two organizations. I help to lead uh, Abolish Abortion Texas, which is focused right here in my home state. Uh, but then also the Foundation to Abolish Abortion, which is international in scope, and we draft uh, bills to abolish abortion. You know that even goes beyond Texas for. In Missouri and Louisiana, Oklahoma, Arizona, and lots of other states around the country, and um, and then do lots of educational you know materials through that, and speaking, and, and and you know a lot of other work through the foundation to abolish abortion. So I'm very pleased and, and grateful to be part of all that work.
0: Yeah, well, we're grateful for the work you do, and you're a graduate of Baylor University. That's where you went to law school as well as undergrad, right? Right. Yeah, I started to go to Baylor, you know, get a a Baptist education. Decided to go to Texas A and M and get a Christian education. And he's never never recovered since. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. And man, we want to talk to you about uh, just the whole abortion issue. I have discovered over the last two weeks since what happened in Louisiana with that bill that made it out of committee and looked like it might be the first bill in the United States to actually get adopted that would recognize the personhood of a preborn child and equal protection under the law for that preborn person. Uh, it got spiked, and it got spiked with the great help of over 75 pro-life organizations, including the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Medical Convention. And I was blown away when I read that open letter by these folks. And uh, what I'm discovering is there's a lot of people like me that, you know, they've just they're, we're pro-life, have been pro-life for decades, and we just assume these pro-life organizations were representing our desire to see abortion end and to, to see these things that the bill in Louisiana actually was arguing for and to have the pro-life leadership come out and say, oh, we represent, you know, hundreds of millions of people and we're all opposed to this. Uh, I think a lot of eyes are being opened, but there's still a lot of confusion. So do you mind talking? about that, about the Louisiana bill and what was in it. It's been accused of you know, all kinds of stuff that it, if, if it passed, then we'd go looking for mothers in Louisiana and throw them all in prison or execute them all or something. And then uh, the opposition to it.
2: Yeah. So I was grateful. Uh, Representative Danny McCormick in Louisiana asked me to help uh, write that bill uh, several months ago. And, um, and the effort there in Louisiana was led by pastor, um, Brian Gunter down there, Baptist pastor, wonderful, great guy. And, um, so the bill, we we wrote it up several months ago, talked to, talked to some folks about it, and it ended up getting a committee hearing and it passed the committee seven to two. And, um, so we were, we were grateful for that. That was a a great day. It's actually the first time that a bill of abolition, the bill to completely abolish abortion has passed a committee uh in a state so that's some really great progress there and then the very next week it was scheduled for a a vote on the floor of the louisiana house of representatives well in that intervening week between the committee passing it and getting to the floor uh opponents came out of the woodwork to it and not the opponents that you would normally think of like planned parenthood and you know pro-abortion organizations but most of the, the most vocal opponents were pro-life organizations um, and, and what you referenced just a minute ago, led by the National Right to Life, over 70 organizations signed on to an open letter that was implicitly opposing uh, Louisiana House Bill 813 for, because it provided for equal protection. And equal protection simply means that the laws that apply, the homicide laws that apply to protect born people should also apply to protect people before they're born. It's really pretty simple. If we really believe that a fetus is a person, then we should protect them with the same laws and protect all other persons. And that's really all House Bill 813 did. It didn't create new law. It just took the existing homicide law and just said, hey, fetus is a person too. We're gonna protect them with the same laws and protect all other persons because that's what equal protection means. That's what the Constitution requires. The Constitution says no state shall deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. And the Louisiana Constitution has a, an identical provision prohibiting denying equal protection. So this bill agreed with the U.S. Constitution, agreed with the Louisiana Constitution, agreed with loving your neighbor as yourself, this, you know the second greatest commandment, the royal law, James calls it. it, agrees with the golden rule, doing it to others as you would have others do to you. So that's really all the bill did, and yet over 70, you know, groups that call themselves pro-life came out and opposed it.
1: Well, with friends like these, who needs enemies like Planned Parenthood? (laughs)
0: That's right. Yeah, Planned Parenthood got to take the day off, you know. Uh, And Brian Gunter, I want to make this point. Brian Gunter is a Southern Baptist pastor. Hmm. And so he had (laughs) the organization that his church supports sign on to spike the very thing that he worked diligently to get in his home state uh, before the legislator that possibly could help save unborn lives. It's, it was a travesty to me. So explain why these pro-life groups have opposed this. They wrote, they wrote this open letter. I wrote an article about this, and I, I just was flabbergasted that they would do this. But what is your understanding of the arguments of the other side that say, oh, this, this legislation should not be passed? This will be a horrible thing for the pro-life movement if this is passed.
2: Well, the, there was various opposition, you know, before I get to that letter, there's various opposition that were just telling, you know, straight falsehoods about the bill, saying that it would completely prohibit in vitro fertilization, IVF, which it would not, it would just require it to be done ethically, you know, they were saying it would prohibit, you know, um, contraceptives, which again, it would not, it would only prohibit abortifacient, you know, drugs and uses, um, and then some people were even you know, making the outrageous claim that the bill would be retroactive, that it, that it would go backwards for 49 years and say that you could go back and prosecute mothers. But the bill explicitly prohibited that. Um, the bill said it only applies to, to crimes committed after the effective date of the bill. The Louisiana Constitution prohibits what's called ex post facto laws, as does the U.S. Constitution. So there's no way it could have done that. But it sounds really scary. And so people are trying to use that in order to kill the bill. But the letter you're talking about, you know, from the the pro-life groups that included the ERLC, um, they were coming out and they were proposing what they called criminalizing the mother. Uh, now, as we, you know, that, that's that's a phrase that people like to use because, again, it sounds inflammatory, it sounds scary. Uh and I'm opposed to criminalizing women. I'm opposed to that at all. My wife is a woman and I love her and I don't want her to be criminalized just because he's a woman. Right. So it sounds really scary to put it that way. Uh, and that's not what the bill does. The, the bill does not criminalize women. It criminalizes conduct. It criminalizes homicide. And it provides equal protection to persons person from the moment of fertilization. Because uh, that's when, for 49 years, the pro-life movement has said that's when life begins. So that's when we should protect it. Unfortunately, though, uh, for 49 years, almost every single pro-life bill that's been written has had an explicit exclusion written into it uh, that says, you know, this prohibition, whether it be partial birth abortion or dismemberment abortion or whatever kind of abortion it is, it, we, we write into our bills and we say, this doesn't apply to the mother, um, you know, meaning that, for example, in Texas and in most other states, you know, up to the moment of birth, a mother can legally kill her own child. Um, you know, there may be d- different you know, lines and methods that apply to abortion doctors, but they don't apply to mothers. And so it's, it's legal in all 50 states for mothers to kill their own children right now. And that's, you know, that's denying equal protection because that's not how we protect born people. And so that's what the bill sought to remedy was to take the same laws that apply to born people and use them to protect those who are not yet
0: born. All right, let me ask you a question about that because uh, Texas very uh, famously passed this heartbeat bill uh, last year, I think it was. So I, did you just say that in Texas, a woman can abort her child up to the point of delivery? What? That's how does correct. the heartbeat bill intersect with that?
2: Yeah, so the heartbeat bill <clears throat> does a few things. First of all, it, um, it explicitly prohibits the government from enforcing it. Um, a lot of people aren't aware of that, that it can only be enforced by private parties. So in some ways, it's one of those, uh, you know, Romans 13 talks about the God's minister to justice bearing the sword in vain. Well, the heartbeat bill is, is that. It's, it, it tells the civil government they have to bear the sword in vain. They cannot enforce it. So it can only be enforced by a private lawsuit. And then it, it only applies from the moment of detectable heartbeat. And it's up to the abortionist to determine whether there's a heartbeat or not. And they're not required to record it or video it or anything like that. It's just up to their word, whether there really is a heartbeat or not. And then there's only a $10,000 fine for each child who's, who's killed. There's not, you know, there's not justice. There's not any criminal justice. And, you know, there's not even, you know, what, if if you were to murder a born person, you know, you'd be talking about millions of dollars in potential damages. Um, but here there's only a $10,000 fine. And yes, there's ex- explicit exception to that for the mother. So even if a mother, you know, kills her child after heartbeat, well after heartbeat up till birth, then she's subject to no civil or criminal liability whatsoever. Wow.
0: Wow. So one of the objections I've heard to the Louisiana bill is that it had provisions in there that if the United States Supreme court were to rule contrary to it, that this bill would not acknowledge that or something to that effect that The the United States Supreme Court could not issue a ruling that the people of Louisiana, uh, the the laws on their books, would recognize and that that would create a constitutional crisis and no state could ever do that, shouldn't ever do that. Uh, It's crazy that anybody would think that you could have that in a bill that's uh, submitted to a state legislature. So how do you respond to that?
2: You know, for I would say, people say peace, peace, when there is no peace. You know, we've had a constitutional crisis for the last 49 years. We've had the U.S. Supreme Court ignoring the plain text of the Constitution and the states and the federal government going along with that. And that's resulted in over 63 million reported abortions, reported deaths uh, by preborn children of the last 49 years. So, you know, there's already a crisis. There's, a, there's already a problem. We're already at war. We're just all the casualties just happen are, are just silent in the womb, and um, so that's already going on. So really, what we were calling for was a return to the Constitution, a return to the rule of law, because you know, for example, in England right now, um, when members of Parliament are sworn in, they swear an oath to the Queen, uh, but that's not our you know our basis of law here in the United States and in, in this country as John Adams put it, we're a government of laws and not of men, right? We don't swear an oath to men. We don't swear an oath to groups of men. We don't swear an oath to institutions. We swear an oath to a, to a law, the highest law of the land, and that is the Supreme, I'm sorry, and that is not the Supreme Court. It is the U.S. Constitution. And so yes, the U.S. Supreme Court is a constitutional institution. Uh, it does have the power to interpret the Constitution. Uh, but it does not have that power, you know, absolutely. Uh, otherwise, we should just be swearing oaths directly to it. So where the Supreme Court ignores the Constitution, uh, then it's up to those who have sworn an oath to the Constitution to follow the Constitution. Otherwise, they're, they're supporting tyranny, because that's what it means whenever you, um, when you ignore the law and you rule against the law. And that's what the Supreme Court has done in the issue of Roe versus Wade and if the court demands that then again it makes itself a tyrant and if the states provided that if they if they provide or if they give unconditional submission to the court then they've really made it into an idol because there's only one being to which we're supposed to give unconditional submission and that's god every other one is is under his law and in this case the highest law of the land as romans 13 puts it the governing authority is the u.s constitution which says in the supremacy clause this Constitution and the laws which shall be made in pursuance thereof shall be the supreme law of the land. And so if the Constitution says one thing and the court says another, which do we follow? And if God says one thing and the court says another, which do we follow? And House Bill 813 in Louisiana simply said, we're going to follow the U.S. Constitution, we're going to follow God, and we're going to obey him uh, because the Supreme Court has ignored the Constitution in a row, and where they ignore the Constitution, we must ignore them. Again, not to, not to ignore them on everything, but ignore Roe versus Wade.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty uh, straightforward argument, it seems to me. And, and I've been fascinated. I've tried to follow the uh, Dobbs case with the leaked uh, indication that the Supreme Court is going to overturn it and hope that that will happen. We're still waiting day by day mm-hmm. to see if that becomes official. But uh, there were, did you tell me, 81 amicus briefs that were filed uh, for the Dobbs case. Is that right?
2: There are 81 filed on the, on the Dobbs side. Um, so on the anti-abortion side. Yeah.
0: And, uh, among those, uh, the ethics and religious Liberty council of our commission of the Southern Baptist convention, I don't know that they wrote one, but they signed on to, uh, one of those briefs. Isn't that right?
2: That's right. Yes, yeah.
0: sir. Do you, do you know about that? I mean, what, what brief did they sign on to? Who were they with on that deal?
2: Yeah, they signed on to the brief. I'm actually, uh, I pull it up here. It's it's um, a brief submitted by the National Association, um, or sorry, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is the bill that or the brief that the ERLC signed on to, and there are other organizations, also the Assembly of Canonical Orthodox Bishops of the United States of America, a couple of dioceses, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. National Association of Evangelicals, and the ERLC all signed on to that brief.
0: And in my understanding, I've looked at a couple of these, and uh, at the beginning of one of those briefs, you have to list your table of authorities, right? That's right. What are some of the, the authorities listed in the table of authorities for that brief that the ERLC signed on to?
2: Well, um, one reason why I looked at this is because we've actually, we actually filed a brief ourselves, the foundation of abortion in this case signed on to by 20 other organizations and 20 state legislatures, uh, late, uh, legislators. And, um, and so I was looking at the ERLCs, um, and they're in their table of authorities that, you know, they cite like the constitution and cases, and um, you know other outside sources, but they also cite you know Pope John Paul uh, of the Catholic Church as one of their authorities for their arguments,
1: as a good Baptist would.
0: Yeah, sure, right. <laughs> okay, so so what did your uh, brief cite as its ruling authorities? Cause this is this is the first thing you have to put in the brief, right? I mean, you have to say here's what Correct. we're appealing to. So what did you put as uh, your ruling authorities?
2: Yeah, I mean, so. ultimately, as a Christian you know what the highest authority for me is the Bible it's God's word and you know when we go argue with the Supreme Court we don't you know check our Bible at the door and so our our brief we were really making three arguments you know one that the Supreme Court would overturn Roe two that's you know state officials who swore an oath to the Constitution should follow the Constitution even if the court refuses to and then thirdly that the court should follow the 14th Amendment and require states to provide equal protection and in doing so, as we're called to the court to do their duty, yes, they have a duty under the constitution. We call them to follow that duty, but much higher than that, even they have a duty before God uh, because their authority comes from God and uh, they're minister of justice um, on behalf of God. And so we call them to do their duty uh, by citing scripture, because again, it's sharper than two edged sword. And, uh, and that's what we should be wielding when we're making arguments Uh, Particularly on an issue of this much importance and something that God has spoken very clearly about, and so we we repeatedly use Scripture in our arguments, and it's at the very top of our table of authorities.
0: Yeah,
1: go ahead. I'm no I'm no historian, nor am I a lawyer, but it seems that there's quite a historical precedence for citing the Scriptures as an authority in in legal cases. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it certainly has been uh, throughout history, and even before the U.S. Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court even. Uh, citing scripture themselves, uh, it, I think it's it's been less and less that that's been done as, as you know, the Supreme Court has gotten more and more um, secular, if you will, or more and more anti-Christian. Um, but yeah, historically speaking, citing scripture in support of your opinion uh, was very, very common.
0: So I'm looking now at this brief that you filed, and it says, Table of Authorities, it mentions the Holy Bible, and then it has nine scripture passages spelled out here. Exodus 20, 1 through 6. So you start with the Ten Commandments, Jeremiah 6, Jeremiah 8, John 19, Matthew 28, Proverbs 24, Psalm 2, Romans 13, Roman uh, verses 1 and 4. I mean, so it's, it's really refreshing to hear a Christian attorney say, we want to... Appeal to the Supreme Court to consider arguments as to why you ought to do what is right, mm-hmm. because the God whom you serve <laughs> tells you what is right, yeah. and here's what He says. And and you're not arguing for a theocracy. I mean, people would say, "Oh my goodness, why why are you quoting the Bible?" The God who created the world, who created the United States, who's given authority to uh, the civil magistrates is the god who determines what's right what's wrong what's good what's bad what's just and unjust Mm -hmm. and so it just makes perfect sense you do this and i don't did you quote the pope in here anywhere
2: uh no we did not okay you did (laughs) quote
0: the pope all right well we'll forgive you that you know but uh but you did quote the bible and all kind of court cases and other uh
1: things for the court to consider and man i
0: that's refreshing to me Mm -hmm. That's refreshing
1: to me. You know, it's it's interesting. Our, our confession in several places talks about the light of nature, that God, not only does he reveal himself in his word, but he also reveals himself in nature. And we need to not undervalue that. But so often I think that we rely solely upon the light of nature, that God has revealed himself in the light of nature to argue, um, Uh, Legal issues, uh, to argue political issues, social issues. We can only rely upon the light of nature. We the scriptures. If we use that, not everyone agrees that the scriptures are authoritative. So we'll just those are out of bounds for us. We can't appeal to those. But as Christians, uh, God has given us two books. He's given us nature. He's given us His Word, and we need to use use both. And so I think it's absolutely appropriate and God honoring to list the scriptures at at the top of your table of authorities.
0: Yeah. So Bradley, tell us uh, where do you. Where do you hope this case goes and what will happen if indeed the Supreme Court does overturn Roe v. Wade? What should we expect uh, in the wake of that?
2: Well, of course, you know, we all want them to overturn Roe v. Wade and as of the the February when the leaked opinion was dated, you know, it looks like there was the votes to do that and we hope that that holds together. Uh, The Supreme Court, you know, is expected. They could release their opinion at any time. I think the, The common wisdom is that it's probably going to be in June when they do that. Um, So we, we hope that they would overturn Roe. We hope that they would do that soon rather than later, because you know, this is, this is a real thing we're talking about every day, more than 2,300 children every single day are killed in this country um, due to Roe versus Wade and the way that we treat this issue. So uh, we hope that they issue their opinion soon uh, because every day matters. And um, now you know, hopefully the opinion holds together. Uh, we, of course, we would love for them to go further. We believe the 14th Amendment requires states to provide equal protection. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we would like the Supreme Court to go further and to find that the term person there includes a fetus or, a, you know, pre-born person. Um, so that's what we would like to see. You know, as far as what's going to happen if they do overturn Roe versus Wade, I know a lot of people are saying, well, this is going to go back to the states, then it'll be up to the states to decide. And the draft opinion actually doesn't say that. Just to be clear, it actually says it would return to the people's representatives. And I think sometimes people forget, well, there's a whole other level of representatives that we have at the congressional level uh, that we even saw here in just the last couple of weeks were trying to um, pass a bill that would erase all pro-life laws across the country, and um, and and take abortion on demand required by every single state. It would even have gone much further than Roe v.ersus Wade even went. Uh, and thankfully, that failed uh, in the U.S. Senate. But that's certainly something that you know that they could try to bring up again, or they could try to bring up just simply codifying Roe v.ersus Wade, which would allow all the pro-life bills to stay on the books in the states and be enforced, but would still you know allow abortion after or I'm sorry, prior to first trimester and things like that. Um, so that's certainly possible. And, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, this whole concept of ignoring Roe versus Wade because it's unconstitutional. Well, that's going to create a constitutional crisis. And, and I pointed out to them, well, if if Congress were to come out and pass a law that that was a nationwide abortion ban, which... The draft opinion that the Supreme Court released would actually allow for that, would actually allow Congress to do that. If Congress were to ban abortion nationwide, what do you think the Democrat states would do? What do you think the blue states would do? And this person just looked at me um, and they, they had to admit that, well, I think those states would ignore federal law and they would allow abortion in their state. And, and I said, well, if they would be willing to do that for evil, if they would be willing to do that for death, then why aren't we willing to stand up for good? Why aren't we willing to stand up for life? Um, and, and, and they're willing to do that in violation of the Constitution. Why aren't we willing to do this following the Constitution?
0: Haven't we seen that in the uh, sanctuary cities movement uh, regarding illegal immigration? I mean, mm-hmm. they the same
1: kind of principle at play there. Right. Only progressives and pagans are allowed to fight in effective ways.
0: Yeah. So so Bradley, what would you say um, to Christians who really do want to see abortion ended? We believe it's a scourge. Uh, we think that innocent blood is crying out to God. We believe that we are guilty as a nation. Uh, what would you say to Christians who have just kind of been rocking along and assuming hey, you know, a national right to life, they represent me. I give money to that, and, you know, I, I, we're all in this pro-life movement together. Uh, and yet it seems like now, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe we don't all have the same goal. Maybe we don't all have the same principles, at least, on a pursuing a goal. What would you say to the just, you know, everyday Christian who loves the Lord Jesus, wants to be faithful in his work, in his home, his relationships, and wants to see abortion end? What, what counsel, what exhort, exhortation would you give?
2: I mean, we've got to go back to our Bibles. We've got to go to the Word of God. Um, to, And and we all need to go there. We, you know, we can't just say, well, this organization, I'm going to trust what they're saying, or I'm going to trust what they're saying or what they're doing. You know, this is an issue of such magnitude that it behooves every single Christian to go and to be Bereans and to study the Word for yourself, come to your own conclusions, be, you know, firmly convinced in your own mind what God's Word has to say on this issue. Uh, I'm firmly convinced that God requires equal protection, that the same laws that protect born people should protect people before they're born because we're all made in the image of God. Uh, we're all equally valuable in his sight. Life begins at fertilization. Scripture repeatedly said, when it's talking about people, it says that so-and-so was conceived and born, conceived and born, conceived and born, right? Because w- that's when their life began. And again, there's, there's so many scriptures. We could do, you know, We could talk for an hour about all the various scriptures on this point. Uh, but life begins at fertilization. That's when it should be protected, and uh, and God requires that civil government do justice, and they're His ministers of justice. And uh, again, you know, another thing is when we say equal protection, we're not actually we're not talking about equal outcomes. We're not saying that a mother uh, who you know who has an abortion should get the exact same outcome as the abortionist who does ten thousand abortions or, or whatever over their lifetime. No one is saying that. What we are saying is that. And in fact, we're not even saying that there should be a particular outcome at all. What we're saying is that the same laws that protect born people should protect people before they're born. That there should be no discrimination in our laws. That no one should have a license to kill someone else with impunity. That's what we're saying. As far as each actual individual case, what we're saying is that each case should be decided on a case by case basis. We have a justice system that protects born people And that's what it does. It considers each case on a case-by-case basis, whether, you know, whoever reports the crime, to law enforcement investigating, to prosecutors deciding whether to prosecute, what to prosecute for, whether to give immunity to the mothers um, in order to testify against the abortionists. Grand juries then decide, you know, do they indict or not. Uh, Trial juries then decide whether to convict, what the sentence is. Judges preside over that. Appellate courts review all of that. Governors can even pardon people or commute sentences. And that's what we call our justice system. And and so we're not saying that that justice system should reach any particular conclusion in any particular case. Uh, what we're saying is that justice system should be allowed to consider each case on a case-by-case basis. And those who oppose equal protection are actually opposing that. They're opposing a case-by-case consideration. They're saying no, mothers should be given blanket immunity and, and blanket uh, license to kill their children, you know, no matter how intentionally or openly or horrifically they do it. And we reject that. That's not what we do for born people. That's what not what we should do for pre born people.
0: Amen. And that's that's legally makes perfect sense. It also makes perfect sense morally because the only people who need a savior are people who know themselves to be sinners. Jesus said he didn't come for the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. And if we tell people, any class of people, uh, post-abortive mothers, anyone, that you're a victim, you have no responsibility, then we are cutting them off from the only place where forgiveness is found. Mm -hmm. And abortion is a horrific crime, a horrific sin, but it's not the unpardonable sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, God has grace for people who have paid for abortions, who have gone through abortions, people who have performed abortions. And we've had to deal with this in our own church. We've got people with broken hearts, and they will live with broken hearts the rest of their lives because of their participation in abortion. But they live in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. They live in forgiveness, not because they have tried to pretend, well, I was a victim. I didn't do anything wrong. But they've come to terms with what they've done, and they've looked to Christ, and they found forgiveness and healing in him. And my great concern as a pastor is that all these organizations that are telling women, you are a victim, you're not responsible, they are cutting those women off from the only place where there is grace and healing, and that's mm-hmm. in Christ. So if you're listening to this today and you've been involved in uh, abortion, either paying for it, providing for it, or undergoing it yourself, look don't, don't think there's no hope for you and own it. Recognize what you've done. And as you deal with that, look to Christ. That's why Jesus came. God sent his son into the world to save sinners like you and me. And all of our sins are like crimson. They're all against a holy God. They all deserve damnation. But Jesus underwent damnation on the cross in order to save us from our sins. So trust him and you'll be forgiven. You'll be healed. Well, Bradley, Thank you, brother, for joining us today. Man, I am so delighted to get to know you. I look forward to getting to know you better and and uh, helping you in any way I can. And um, I'm glad you're out there doing what you're doing. We'd, we'd love for people to be able to find you more readily. So give us a website or ways that, that folks can tap into what you're doing.
2: Yeah, so you go to our website, FAA.life. stands stands for the Foundation to Abolish Abortion. Or you can follow us on Twitter as well, uh, the Foundation to Abolish Abortion there.
0: Okay, and we'll put all this uh, also in the notes that go with this episode. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Sword and the Trial. hope this has been beneficial. If you appreciate this conversation, spread it around. uh, Subscribe to the podcast. Let other people know about what's going on, and certainly be in prayer for the Supreme Court as this ruling will come down, God willing, in the next few weeks.